Okay, let's get this web conference underway. We'll start with a karakia. Unuhia te pō te pō perimangama. Tumakia te ao te ao whatutangata. Tātai ki runga, tātai ki raro, tātai ahurau, hamie huie, Tēnā koutou katoa, greetings everyone, haere mai and welcome to the BioBlitz virtual field trip supported by the Ministry of Education and the Department of Conservation and you're lucky enough to have four Department of Conservation people with us this morning, our experts, we've got Damien over here. Morena everyone. And in beside me. Kia ora koutou. Brad. Hi guys. And Good morning. Nancy. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about our doc experts, you can check out their profile, which is on the website. So we are in Mount Summers on the edge of civilization, it seems, in terms of <laughs> internet coverage. We will head up the valley later on today and we'll be totally out of internet coverage, which is actually quite a nice feeling sometimes, knowing that you're not going to be disturbed by your phone or the internet or anything like that. Um, and we'll head up into Altuvarakai. And as you can see, the sun is streaming in through the window here. We have to sit on this <laughs> side of the room because it seems that there's the best coverage here. Uh, another beautiful day. Looking forward to exploring more biodiversity up in the Hakateri Conservation Park. Uh, with us this morning, we have, as well as our experts, we've got the ambassadors. We've got Pingu there. The penguin from oh, <laughs> from West Park School. To give that back to Brad, he seems to have formed quite a relationship with Pingu. And we've got, of course, Maya, the Chiefy Learns Ambassador, who is loving being back in mountain country. And we have got with us our speaking school, Tara School. Great to have you with us this morning. We'll get started with your questions, uh, and if you can say your name, then we know who we're talking to. All right, we'll get started with question number one, please. Okay, you might have to unmute and come nice and close to ask your question. Hmm. Oh, well done. What's your favourite part of a bio blitz? Who would like to get started with that one? Wow. Well, I find it really exciting when you've, you've done your, your uh, capture technique or your survey and get that first peek in the net. You get to look in the net and see what you've caught. So, I don't know. Everyone was laughing at me the other day because I found a really big toe biter in the creek and it was so exciting. And I went, wow, it's a toe biter. And that's it. That's, <laughs> a, that's a special moment when you find something, I think. Indeed. And I have to admit, looking into the pitfall trap was pretty special opening up the lid and looking in and we'd put some gravel and things in there so that anything that fell into our trap was still going to feel relatively at home. And I first looked in and I couldn't see anything. And then I looked a bit closer and it's like, oh, this is huge water. And um, I 
didn't stick my finger in there because I was a little bit scared of its big mandibles, its jaws. But Brad was a lot braver than me and he stuck his hand in and got the, the mountain stone wetter out and it crawled around on his hand. So, uh, well done, Brad. For me, the, the, most, the, the best bit of a Bible, because I spend a lot of time in the office, is just getting out and seeing the mountains and getting outside and breathing the fresh air. It just, you know, it just does you good to be outside, really. Mm. It's always good to know what lives in your own area as well and to investigate, explore. Great first question. Thank you. Can we have question number two now, please? What predators do ants have? Oh, predators of ants. Does anyone want to attempt that one? Quite a tricky question. <laughs> well, I mean, the um, so you know, if we were overseas, of course, we'd say ant eaters. But <laughs> but things are a bit different here in New Zealand. I think Brad was uh, thinking about this one. Oh, okay, okay. Um, Lots of things eat ants because ants are down near the bottom of the food chain. So they, and there's a huge amount of them. So they provide an important food source for lots and lots of plants and lots of animals. But, but the thing to remember is that ants actually are really, really sophisticated. They seem simple, but they actually got lots of tricks up their sleeves to make sure that they're not eaten. So for a start, ants actually taste really acidic and lots of things don't like eating them because it's like a really sharp tart taste. And sometimes ants are poisonous, and ants have got stings, and ants can group together and mob up on things, and bite, and not only that, I mean, there's ants out there that actually explode. Really? As a defense mechanism <laughs> to protect the nest. So they are pretty cool critters, and they've got some pretty neat defense mechanisms, yeah. So no, ants do their best to put things off from eating them, but yeah, no, they do provide an important food source for lots of birds and lots of other invertebrates. And reptiles too. Lots of skinks and geckos eat ants. Very interesting to hear that they're capable of exploding certain species. Not so good for the individual, but quite good for the colony, I imagine. A little bit like um, a, a bee that stings and then dies. Good for the colony. Alrighty, question number three now, please. Which animal found on the Bible is likely to survive the longest? Wow. Mm. I think that's from Nico. Well, um, if you watch the uh, the video from uh, today, yes. yesterday. Yes. Online today. Uh, that'll yesterday. be online from yesterday. You'll be able to find out. We'll have to leave it at that, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> hang on. Come on, Nick, tell us Okay, all right. So the, uh, the oldest plant is called a lichen. It's, uh, you've probably seen it before. It grows anywhere from the very tops of the mountains uh, right down to the sea. Um, and it clings onto rocks. And it sort of looks like a plant, but it's actually a plant with a fungi species. Mm. And we've had a wee talk as a group too, because we thought this was a great question. And we thought... If you're after the animal that lives the longest, we thought it might even be the kea because we're up in the alpine environment and kea's obviously alpine parrots and parrots are very, very long lived. And um, there's records of kea in New Zealand living over 80 years. Isn't that amazing? 
It is amazing. And there's there's another answer to your question, which is a great question, because I think you actually said what animal survives the longest, which is a bit different from lives the longest. And I was thinking what might survive the longest uh, if things change in Otu Whadakai. So, you know, the, the, the world is warming up. I'm sure you've all heard of climate change. And so I was trying to think about what animal will be, you know, will be the most persistent. So if everything changes, what's going to last the longest? And I was thinking, you know, from a bird point of view, it might be something like the humble sparrow because they're really adaptable. They can live just about anywhere. And, you know, they live, you know, right at the top of New Zealand. So if things get really warm down Otifarakai, some of the precious native animals that are really adapted to the cold winters, they might disappear. But the humble sparrow might still be flying. Mm, and it always surprises me when I travel all over the place and I still see sparrows. I think I saw sparrows in India and in Nepal and all over the place. Indonesia, they're very uh, adaptable, aren't they? Resilient creatures by the mm. sounds of things. Great question. Thank you. Question number four now, please. If you stood still for an hour, how many birds would you see? Wow, yeah. you stood still for an hour. You've probably got more patience than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We can stand still for an hour. Um, I think up in Otu Farakai, if you stood on the, the edge of um, Lake Emily or Lake Emma, Emma where we were looking, um, you'd probably see, you know, you could see 12 or 15 of the, of the 19 species that we've seen over, over two days. But, of course, how many birds you see all depends on where you are. So, you know, in your, in your backyard... Uh, and you're in, a, in a lot of um, New Zealand towns or cities, you know, you might see six or seven or eight species. There's a couple of native species like piwakawaka uh, and little warblers, and maybe silver eye that you might see. But there'll also be a lot of exotic birds, thrushes, blackbirds, sparrows, maybe some other of the finches, little goldfinches or greenfinches. Um, but if you, if you live in the middle of a, of a big city and it's all just concrete and big buildings and things, you might only see sparrows and rock pigeons, those adaptable species that have, the cosmopolitan species that Brad talked about the other day, that live all over the world. But no two Whadakai, if you manage to stay still for an hour, you might see 15. And I think from memory you said we'd seen 19, 19 species. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And are they on... The iNaturalist page, they're not, are they? Because we, we didn't get photos no. of them all. If we didn't get photos, we yeah, that's on. right, that's right. And birds yeah. are hard to take photos of. And that's, that's the trick with our BioBlitz. If we didn't get a photo, we couldn't put it on the site. But we have recorded a list of all the species that we've seen, even if we haven't been close enough to actually take a photo to get that photographic evidence. But we might be able to share that list with you as well. Okay, question number five now, please. How many different types of toadstools and mushrooms are there? Oh, that is an interesting question because I've seen <laughs> lots of different colours. Uh, <laughs> I'll answer that question. Uh, so, um, toadstools and uh, mushrooms are part of the fungus family. Um, and with that, uh, in New Zealand we have over 22,000 um, different types of fungus so that's uh, double as many birds that there are uh, worldwide species um, and worldwide there's 1.5 million and more to be discovered so yeah wow if you go out that's and amazing. photograph some fungi you might be finding a new species you never know 
And that's that's as hundred times as many birds that, that are in New Zealand. You know, that's that's how diverse our boy I'm keep quiet on the bird call. There's a whole lot of fun guys out there. Excellent. And some of those, I guess you can't even see because they're microscopic, so you might need a, a microscope. <laughs> oh, depends oh, on your skin. Nancy's yeah, right. just whispering that there might be a whole lot that are living on your skin. It might uh, do you good, they might not. Some are helpful, some aren't. You can read the background page to find out more about that. Okay, question number six, please. Which animals are the most rarest on the bioblitz? Oh, thank you, Elliot. The rarest uh, animals on our bioblitz. Ones that we've actually seen. Well, Anyone want actually, to attempt that one? Actually seen. We talked about the kotaku. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. We did talk about the kotaku, the, the white heron. So they're, they're pretty rare in Otifatakai. But, you know, on a global scale, they're not the most endangered thing that, um, that we've seen. Um, I can't help thinking about some of the other things that we haven't seen that we know live up in Otifatakai, but we haven't found in the Bioblitz yet. And there are. Oh, actually, today. Yeah, well, maybe, yeah. So it's not an animal that little count. But, but in terms of um, other animal groups, so there's some very rare fish that live up in Otifatakai, um, but we haven't gone fishing really yet. Uh, and there are also some very rare um, reptiles. So there are, there are a lot of. A huge range of, of different lizards and geckos up in Otifatakai. We haven't had time to really go looking for them, but some of those are critically endangered. What was your one, Nancy? You had a. Oh, well, I was going to say uh, a plant species that we're going to see today that only lives up at uh, Otifatakai in one site. Only lives in one place wow. in the whole world. Yeah. Imagine having a imagine having a plant in your um in the in the, in the playing field at your at your school that only lived there. Boy, you'd be worried about playing a bit of rugby on that yeah. on that field. It's quite a responsibility to try and look after that. And we've been coming up to Otifatakai for I think it's a decade now on lots and lots of different learns trips. So you can go back in time on the Learns website and check out all the different places we've been to. We've um, seen scree skinks and rybill and all sorts of threatened species. So check out some of those old field trips to find out more about what lives in Otifatakai. Thanks, Elliot. Question number seven now, please. What are the lines underneath the mushrooms? Oh, good question. <laughs> lines <laughs> under mushrooms. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> So the lines under the mushrooms are, they're called gills, um, a little like fish gills, if you imagine those. Um, so they actually house the spores and that's the reproductive part um, that will um, disperse out and create more mushrooms for next season. Stuff. And question number eight, please. Um, how long does a bile blitz take? Continue. Do you stay out overnight? That is a good question. Yeah, you've obviously read the background pages because you know that some species only come out at night, so people have to come out at night to record those species. So bioblitzes, it kind of depends on the group that's doing it, but generally speaking, how long does a bioblitz last? Anyone well, know? I think they, they started out, you know, with trying to do it in 24 hours. So you stay out for 24 hours, you know, one whole day and a night and see what you can find. Um, but 
sometimes that's just not long enough to find all the stuff that you know is out there. So I think a lot of them have tended to stretch out. So so our ones, you know, over um, three days, but but you know, I think, and we haven't really covered the night as well as we as well as we should have. So no, this trip we haven't um, we haven't stayed out overnight. Um, it's, you know. It's too cold for one thing, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So we probably should have maybe next time uh, we go camping. Yes, yeah. So generally twenty four hours, and yes, people do go out at night. We haven't here, um, which leaves us room to do a better bio blitz in the future. But it really depends on what you're trying to achieve. So you guys could decide what time frame you want to do your bio blitz in, and sometimes it's good to just do a mini bio blitz and then it's something that you can repeat um, at different times of the year or annually or something like that so that you get changes over time. And next question, please. How long does it take to find something on a bio blitz? Oh, that's really the million dollar question, isn't it? Depends on all sorts of things. <laughs> Damn, have any questions? Thanks. Thanks, Anne. <laughs> um, look, there's a huge amount of variability in trying to find something. Um, potentially, if you're going out and searching something, you could find plants, some of the vegetation surveys straight away, instantaneous. And then some of the other species would take could take a long time. Um, when we start <coughs> looking at things like lizards and stuff, trying to track them down, um, we could it could take a period of days. So it really depends on all the different species that are around in, in the basin on length of time that it takes to takes to find them. But yep, some certainly you would find straight away. Hmm, and it might be a good idea to divide up the tasks. So some people are looking for plants and some people are looking for um, invertebrates under rocks and other people are, are looking for birds. You could um, swap around and see what different types of organisms you can find. And now I think we're up to question. Nope, we're up to our informal questions because we've covered all <coughs> nine questions from Otatara School. Thank you very much for those quality questions this morning and asking them so well. So great to see that we've got listening schools with us. You can now uh, just move down to the bottom of your screen and you'll see a little chat bubble. If you click on that, you can type a question so we'll be around for another few minutes to answer the last of your questions in our final web conference for the BioBlitz field trip. First one is from Zoe from Katie Halverson's class. How was BioBlitz invented? Ah, Zoe. That is a very good question. I don't know who invented or where even in the world the first BioBlitz was. But I think, you know, here in New Zealand, the first one was held by Manaki Whenua, uh, Lancare Research. You know, they've got a lot of scientists, and I can just imagine them sitting around the, the morning tea uh, table thinking, you know, really, what's here, what's here? We should all get together. You know, maybe they made it a social thing. Maybe they thought it would be their, um, their good uh, after Christmas party. Let's all get together and go and find what's here. So I don't really know how they came up with the idea of the first one. But in New Zealand, uh, at uh, Manaki Whenua, they did the first one in 2004. It must have seemed like a good idea at the time. Mm, and I guess it's a good way to get a community together and everybody helping out as citizen scientists. So it's not just about scientists making discoveries, but um, anybody who wants to volunteer some time can also help out. 
the next one's from the same class. Adia, what is the worst predator in New Zealand? And we talked a little bit about this the other day. Mm. Mm. Yes. Well, go down. Go yeah. down, mate. Yeah. 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 Don't forget the veterans. <laughs> this is right in your line. Yeah. I, in, in all honesty, uh, they all play a part. Um, the worst predator, the reality is that they, they all play a part in the destruction of, um, of, of native wildlife and they all compete in different ways. Um, but if we're talking about Odi Fadi Kai, um, you're probably looking at a mammalian pest such as the stoat would probably be high, as high on the list as, the, as a, key, a key predator uh, in, in that basin. Um, but in other areas, you know, possums could be wasps are very big as well. So it's kind of relative to your area as to what the key predator is. Um, but certainly for Odifratikai, I'd probably put it on the stoke. And it might be wild cats in um, your area because there might be lots of cats, or it might be possums because you've got lots of forests. So it all, all depends. I, really. I'd, I'd put a vote in for rats because they're everywhere and they eat just about everything. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, and we don't often see them, but they're, as you say, everywhere. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, looking along our great big list of questions. One from Coco. What is the most popular bug? Maybe what is your maybe what is your most popular or favourite bug? Maybe if we go for everybody's favourite bug, we'll start with Nancy. Oh, uh, favourite bug that I've seen so far. Uh, probably a uh, a blue dragonfly I saw the oh, other day. Uh, I think it's called a damsel. Mm -hmm. How big was it? Oh, yeah. Big one. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> All right. I'm going to keep voting for my toe biter. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't know what a toe biter is, check out the video on the first day where Brad discovers one and gets really, really excited. Um, I'd have to say I like grasshoppers and lots up in alpine areas and they bounce around out of the snow tussock as you walk through the snow tussock. But um, after seeing that mountain stone wetter yesterday, that was pretty cool as well. It's so hard to pick a favourite, you know. I think, you know, dragonflies, I was going to say dragonflies, but Nancy bags that one. So, you know, <laughs> um, I like wetters too, but, you know, the wetters, you know, gone from... So I, I would vote for, um, when we were up at um, Otifarika yesterday, I saw a beautiful little um, copper butterfly just land on a rock in front of me and, you know, opened his wings and I thought, really... You know, they're amazing, amazing, beautiful creatures. You know, and if you take the time to look, you'll see some lovely stuff. Indeed. What you know? Uh, I'm still voting for bees. <laughs> <laughs> In all honesty. Uh, you know, uh, they're definitely guy. my favourite critter. In the OTW, though, I mean, there's an amazing ray of invertebrates there. Um, I certainly like multiple species and moths. I think um, I do a lot of work at night, and um, you know, some of the sites that you see at night with moths is, is pretty cool, and they're all different and have some beautiful colourings. Mm, pretty hard to say an absolute favourite because there's so many great examples, especially up here in Autobatakai. Okay. Uh, Next one from Alara, room 22 from Wanaka Primary. What is the smallest species you have found in a bioblitz and how did you see it? Mm. Maybe in your bioblitz. Yeah, good question. We haven't used a microphone. We, we oh, haven't, have we? And uh, we've looked at the macro invertebrates in the stream. They're the ones we can see with our eyes, but there's actually another whole 
range of life way down at, the, at a level where you need a microscope to see it, and not just under the water, but you know, on land as well. So there's tiny, tiny mites and things, um, but no. What's the smallest one you got? The smallest one we found in our net. We've found some the, tiny, tiny orbweed spiders, really, oh, yeah. really minuscule in in our nets when we've been doing the sweep netting. Right. So. Mm. So you might have to collect a water sample or a soil sample and then have a look at it under the microscope to see the really, really tiny organisms. And next question. Hazel, Hazel from uh, Wanaka wants to know, what is the hardest part of a bioblitz? That is a good question because yeah. there's a few challenges involved, isn't there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, for some, for some things, it's hard to see them or find them. Um, but uh, you know, so even, you know, some of the some of the some of the um, reptiles that we know are there are really hard to, to catch a glimpse of, and the rare things are really hard to see. And for some of them, they're quite you know, you might stumble on them, and they you know, if it's a plant, it's right there. But identifying what it is can be pretty tricky. Others? Mm -hmm. I agree. <laughs> yeah, and Andrew has been who's been doing the filming on this field trip will attest to the fact that some creatures are quite mobile and they just jump away as soon as you get the camera out. So that can be challenging as well, especially when you're trying to record something for your Bioblitz webpage. I wonder if they want to know too whether the hardest part is actually organizing it if it's a big bioblitz. Mm, yeah, and I, I, I did talk to um, Maureen Keane from uh, Mount Summers Springburn School and they did a bioblitz of their own in February um, up at Lake Clearwater and you can check on the background pages to find out a bit more about that. But she found it really challenging to organise because not only did she have to organise her class but she organised scientists who volunteered their time and experts and doc staff who came along and helped and everybody had to get all the equipment to Lake Clearwater and all arrive at the same time in the same place. And then the weather was actually really good, but it, it could have been anything at that time of the year. So yeah, lots of challenges in getting organized to do the bio blitz in the first place. So the next one's thanks uh, from Amber, Room 22 at Wanaka Primary. How many nocturnal species are there in New Zealand and do you come across them in your bioblitz investigations and what ones have you seen? Yeah, as we said before, we didn't go out at night, but we did leave the trail cameras out to try and help us. And, and they, they record. tracks were out as well, yeah. weren't they? Yeah. So we, we've definitely had some monitoring techniques that can catch nocturnal animals, but... Um, there's so many animals in New Zealand. So there's an incredible array of spiders alone, something like two and a half thousand species, and a huge number of those are actually nocturnal. So it's the the answer is that actually it's gonna be thousands and thousands and thousands of animals in New Zealand are gonna come out at night. And if you think of some of the some of the bigger animals um, that we have, uh, you know, the, the birds and reptiles. So um, a lot even most of our gecko species uh, nocturnal, they mostly come out at night, whereas the skinks, the most smooth-skinned lizards, they like the sun and they mostly come out um, during the day. But New Zealand's also famous for its nocturnal bird life. Um, you know, before all the rats and the stoats and the, and the nasty um, mammalian predators came here, the, um, the biggest predators were, were themselves birds. And so a lot of our birds took to 
foraging at night to um, to escape, you know, the the, um, the sharp-eyed eagles and what have you. Um, so birds like the, you know, the kiwi, you know, that's got to be the, the most um, famous nocturnal animal for New Zealand. Mm, so lots of options if you go out at night. Um, we've got a question here about tar, and I'm sure Brad would love to answer this one because he's a, a keen hunter. Mm, mm. What's the question about tar? Um, yeah. Where, where, where does a tar live? Damien wants to answer this one. Yeah, I'll take this one. Um, where does a tar live? Well, that's a, it's a, a good question. Um, Tar are an introduced species, so they were, they were brought over here in about 1905, um, and they are actually native to the Himalayas, so that's where they actually naturally occur. So in New Zealand, they're, um, they're introduced. Uh, they tend to exist in uh, alpine areas, like quite high up, but they are very adaptable critters, and they, um, they can often be down quite low as well. So they only exist. They only are in the South Island of New Zealand, and they exist basically on along the Southern Alps within a range. But um, yeah, they are quite adaptable. And uh, so in New Zealand, yeah, you definitely find them up on the hills of most parts of the Southern uh, the South Island. But yes, they are native to the Himalayas. And that's why you might have seen them referred to as the Himalayan tar. And we've got questions about the rarest bug in New Zealand. Any ideas of what the rarest is one that, is? Is that beetle that's in my favor? Oh, yeah, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll have a vote. I'm not going to be in my favor. But, um, but uh, up north, because uh, I'm from Tamika Makaurau, there's a, there is a beetle that, that lives um, on one rock stack next to a small island in the Hauraki Gulf. So it's called the Stack H stag beetle. There are similar beetles. They're in the genus Geodorcus, so that's kind of the, the family of them. And there's some on the west coast. There's another rare one in Coromandel. But, but the Stack H stag beetle is only on this, if you can just imagine a really tall rock sticking out of the sea, it's probably, it's, its last remaining habitat is probably half the size of the room we're in or half the size of a classroom, and that's where it lives. So that is, that's one of the rarest uh, uh, bugs or invertebrates in New Zealand, um, and yeah, we've got to we've got to try hard to look after them. Yeah, and to be the rarest, often it's something that's really specialised as well. So there's actually a tiny mite that lives in the guano piles inside the short-tailed bat roosts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, only short-tailed bat bats piles? are bat short-tailed oh. bats are really rare. So think how rare that mite's going to be. Indeed. And we've got questions about how many species we've found in Mount Summers. Well, you can check out the uh, BioBlitz page, which I've linked in my diary. And Barry's just showing it behind him there in the Loon's office. So have a look at that. Um, and sparrows. Is there any place in New Zealand that does not have sparrows now that we've talked about how resilient they are. Yeah. We talked about these yesterday, didn't we, these cosmopolitan species mm -hmm. that are really adaptable and seem to be able to fit in all around the world. But virtually everywhere in New Zealand, you're going to find a sparrow at some stage. Maybe not up in the extreme oh, alpine oh, environment, yeah. but... Um, Above but, the yeah. bushland, they'd be pretty rare. But also in, um, in really intact forests, in some of the bigger forests, so in the middle of the forest in Fiordland or Te Urawera, 
Um, you know, sparrows are pretty rare. They're not really a, a bird of the forest. They're a bird of open country. So that's why they do quite well in urban environments and in your backyard. And there's quite a few up at Otu Whadakai. But in the, in the deepest, darkest, um, most intact New Zealand forest, it's pretty rare to see a sparrow. And anyone want to think about what the most interesting uh, bug is that they've found in Otu Whadakai? I know, no, Brad's got his toe biter, but he also got very excited about the mountain stone weather yesterday. Oh, big old Hemi Diner. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. A special adaptation. The biggest animal in the world that can be completely frozen and thaw out. Hemi Diner, the big, Hemi Diner Mari, the big mountain stone weather, lives under ice and snow in winter. And the amazing trick it's got is that it can actually freeze solid and then defrost in the spring. And that's and come back to pretty life. cool. That's yeah. Very unusual. And questions about the longest bug and the smallest bug. Some of the we long did, ones might did, be centipedes. We did the small bug. We've done the small, the micro bugs. Longest bugs, yeah. I think we're, we're, we're probably thinking about um, centipedes if you're going to mm. count them as bugs. Certainly some of the, the, the orthoptera, the family that's in the, with, with wetter and, and grasshoppers in them, um, if you've seen a, 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 a wetter uh, antennae, you know, that, you know, if you're going to count the antennae, then that's, you know, that's going to stretch things out a, a, decent, a decent length. You know, the, the giant wetters um, are, the, are the biggest, heaviest bugs we've got. And if you count the wetters, I reckon they've got a rival to them. And some of those Indeed. cave wetters have got really yeah, huge yeah, antennae. Yeah, cave wetters, and mm. they, you know, they live in the dark oh, place. Yeah, yeah, yep, Damien's spiders. talking about the cave spiders. I mean, cave spiders are, are even bigger. They, <laughs> <laughs> they have very, very long legs and small bodies, but they, if you counted all them, they are, they are incredibly large and, and quite... <laughs> Quite scary if you're in caves. <laughs> Especially if you're trying to squeeze through a tight part of the cave and then along comes a big cave spider. Oh dear. Okay, on that note, fantastic questions this morning, everyone. Thank you very much for taking part and a big thank you to our speaking school, Ototara School. Great to have your questions this morning. And this is actually a final web conference for the BioBlitz field trip. So thanks so much for taking part. Do check out all the videos, diaries, images, etc., online for you, which will stay online. And be sure to try your own BioBlitz, even if it's just a mini BioBlitz. Have a, have a look at what lives in your own backyard. So thank you very much for everybody taking part this morning. And now you can unmute your microphone and we'll all say a big, Goodbye. Oh no. Bye. 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 Bye.